Do you like fantasy sports? If you're listening to this, we're sure you do. Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at DynastyOwner.com and get started on building your dynasty. Aw, yeah. It's the DTC Podcast, people. The Real McCoy. Original Recipe. First in your ear hole podcast on dynasty trading and player values. Hosted by Russ Fisher, Izzy Elkafoss, and Akash Patel. Welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Trade Calculator Podcast. I'm your host, Izzy Alkafas, episode number 241. Uh, joined today by Akash Patel. Just going to be us two again today, just like last week. We're going to rip through some stuff. We kind of had an idea of looking at ADP versus calc value and trying to find potential opportunities. Maximize your startup drafts to find opportunities to trade them post-draft, potentially. There's definitely going to be opportunities to be had because what we I guess we'll kind of talk about what we have discovered and if there is some sort of trend that we can uh, manipulate there post startup draft. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to go through uh, right now. We'll start with the higher startups. Well, first, Akash, I should probably ask you how you're doing. I think that's the formal way hosts do it. Akash, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm really good. Um, so we'll jump right into the higher startup players first and then the higher calc players. And there are two trends that we assumed were going to happen and they actually are happening. Um, but for different reasons, we'll try to figure out why that is. So we looked at players with the higher startups first relative to, you know, our calculator values. And just to give the listeners an idea, the calc pulls everything. So we're pulling trades that are actually happening, ADP on Sleeper and MFL. So the higher startups that we're talking about is just Sleeper. And then Twitter polls as well. So we have four forms of data that are coming in being fed. And the, the data that we have for the startups is just Sleeper. So the higher startup for Sleeper, the biggest gap is Brady with 41 picks. So that's essentially three and a half round difference between is ADP on sleeper and the calc value. So do we want to start with just kind of breaking down each player? Should we just go through and name the players that have higher? Um, yeah, we can name them because Brady fits a similar mold to a couple other guys on this list. Okay. So what we did notice, and this is what we expected, quarterbacks and tight ends are the most common on these lists. And that's going to be strictly, well, we thought it would be tied to supply and demand, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. So the players are as follows. Brady, 41, picks higher or players higher in startups. Cole Komet, 27 players higher. Uh, Brandon Cooks, 21 players higher. Jameis Winston at 20 players higher. Derek Carr, 19 players higher. Kirk Cousins, 18 players higher. James Conner, 18 players higher. Dawson Knox, 16 players higher, and then Travis Etienne, 15 players higher. So what we have in that, you know, the top nine difference, and we didn't go much lower than 15 for the higher in startups just because at this point, it's pretty much a round difference. I mean, even a lot of these guys are a round and a half. There's only two players that are two round difference, um, which is Cole Komet and Tom Brady. So I guess from this list, Akash, what have you picked up on the nuance between the higher startups yeah we're definitely seeing some quarterbacks like brady winston carr and cousins definitely seeing some quarterbacks go higher in startups and they're all quarterbacks that are after the first couple tiers and so what i'm thinking is that you know people are reaching a little bit um to secure a qb sometimes you might not have a qb like four rounds even you decide that you need one or maybe you're in round four and, and you pick Derek carr when his um like trade value might be a fifth or sixth rounder and so i think that's what it is like 
Derek Carr's QB 15 right now in ADP, and he's a full round behind QB 14, who's Justin Fields. And so it really feels like if you miss out on the first tier, the guys who go in the first round, and the second tier, like who has like uh, Russ, Stafford, Fields, et cetera, all those guys, um, it really feels like um, you want to secure your QB1 and you you might get a little panicked. And so you reach a bit on Derek Carr and that's driving his ADP up. Yeah. And and what's interesting is we'll kind of talk about this a little bit with some other quarterbacks because they make the list on the other side of the ledger. So in startups, Derek Carr is going QB15 uh, and he's QB18 in the calculator for the rankings. Cousins, QB20 in uh, in startup ADP and then for sleeper. and then. On our end, it's QB 21. So really not that big of a difference between where they're being drafted quarterback-wise and where their value is in the calculator. Yeah, It's just that, like you said, they're reaching for them because they don't want to be left behind because then you drop into that next tier. They don't want to be left with, you know, like potentially the David Millses, the Jared Goffs, the Matt Ryans, the Carson Wentzes, the Daniel Joneses. That's when you start dropping down so you kind of have your last chance at the proven because these are the proven quarterbacks right yep and so i think it's also interesting to see that Derek carr is higher in adp but lower in in trade value and uh in the calculator and i think that's because people um they don't want to like leave a draft with tua or mac or zach wilson as their qb1 like if you're going to take your first qb in round four or five you're going to take a guy who's already proven to score points, whereas the younger guys carry more trade value. Yeah, actually a good point. So the three players that we figured out are different in startups versus the calculator. And I was very surprised by this. Derek Carr is going higher in startups than Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. So that one we can explain because the people that have Aaron Rodgers, they're okay with the age of Aaron Rodgers. He's probably not being traded too much because they don't want to give up. They don't want to devalue Aaron Rodgers in a trade because he offers you more potentially than he would if you traded him away. So people are just kind of sitting tight with him, even though he lost Adams Um, and he's proven. So that I can understand. And then the Mac Jones and Tua thing, these, this is, and then Zach Wilson is right behind Derek Carr. Mm -hmm. So these three players, we can, that makes sense too, because they're the three probably unproven lowest ceiling of the young unprovens. So like when you have Fields, Lawrence, Lance, those are the unproven's that have the highest perceived ceiling, and then mm-hmm. you have that next year with the lowest perceived ceiling. So you can explain, I can understand why Carr is being fifteen versus being eighteen. I get it. Then you have to understand too, like Carr in a league that's already developed, Carr is considered. He's probably more of a boring asset. Same with Cousins, kind of a boring asset, and he's in that yeah. next tier. Um, but yeah, those two, we can explain, um, out of curiosity, what quarterback is Winston going in as a startups? He's QB 24 right now. I don't really see, like, he's pretty far away from the other quarterbacks in terms of their ADP. Like Brady's the lowest of the other three who are on the list and he's 66 uh, in ADP, whereas Winston's 100. And so there's a big drop off after Brady, which I think explains why he's going so high as well. Yeah. But then after that, I think that uh, Winston at 100 definitely going higher in the startups than in trade value, which I guess makes sense. Um, He's still relatively young and he does have some big hands I've seen on Twitter. Um, But I don't know. He makes sense in the tier. I wouldn't reach on him. Okay. So that's the quarterbacks. And then we only have one receiver, which is Brandon Cooks. It's going higher in startups. Yeah. So maybe we won't really touch on him too much. Um, but let's talk about the tight ends. And this will actually segue into the other. Actually, let's talk about them last because we can segue. Actually, no. What we should do is should we talk about the quarterbacks that are higher in the calculator and then go to the next position? Or how do you want to? We can always talk about the the tight ends that are higher, and then we can move into the next list. Okay. So, Cole Komet and Dawson Knox. Obviously, we haven't unveiled the higher in the calculators, but we can actually see a direct explanation for why players are going, or these two tight ends are going higher in startups versus the players that are higher in calc. 
So yeah. go ahead with your thoughts on that. Yeah, they're both relatively unproven. Um, Komet's best season, I think, is like seven points per game. Uh, t- in tight end premium, it's like eight or nine. It's, it's not a lot. He was a, he was a mid tight end two last season. His peripherals are okay, but he's relatively unproven. Same with Dawson Knox. His season was really buoyed by touchdowns, but 13% target share is really nothing to uh, write home about. He's pretty fraudulent in that regard. Um, so, like, kind of like a Robert Tunyon the year prior. And so both these guys being relatively unproven, uh, they make sense that they carry less trade value. And uh, if you're fading the position entirely, these guys go uh, right at the end of the tight end ones in, in startup value. Like Knox is tight end 10 and commits tight end 11 in ADP. And so if you're really fading the tight ends, it makes sense that these are the guys to to grab because you project high ups, higher upside for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what, what tight end is Cole Komet in uh, ADP? He's 11 right now. And then in, so he's ahead of, I'm guessing he's ahead of Gesicki, mm-hmm. Fant, yeah. Albert O, Trey McBride, Zach Ertz. Yeah, and I don't agree with those, but the people seem to like Cole Komet, so. Yeah, so he's actually tight end 16 behind the guys that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and it's not much. I mean, you're talking about trade value being the difference between tight end 11 and tight end 16 is a mid third. Okay. Yeah. With like Fant, Albert O, Trey Mc, and obviously as it goes down, that turns into a fourth difference between the the values of players. Yeah. So it's pretty tight. Um. So looking at that, that we can explain, and then Dawson Knox. Honestly, it's less than a round and a half difference between ADP versus value. So it's that, that one. Not as stark as Colcomet, but yeah. Yeah, not, not, not isn't that bad. So yeah, these are the unproven guys um, that are below that top tier. Mm-hmm. Because we know like with Gesicki and Fant, they've been around long enough. Trey McBride's a rookie. Zach Ertz is another guy that's been around forever. Albert O is the only one that is also an unproven where is Albert O in startups? He's 139, so he's quite a bit lower. Sorry, tight end 16, though. Okay, so we have him tight end 13 versus tight end Kokomet is tight end 16. So, and once again, mm-hmm. they're pretty close. They're difference of a fourth round pick. Yeah, so, between them, about equal, I, I would think, but I would definitely give the higher ceiling to Albert O, and so that difference doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So what's interesting is I think we're going to actually talk about this too with a player in the higher calculator is the Russell Wilson trade and Fant leaving and going to Seattle really created a lot of trade production for Albert O. Yeah. Which increased his value over time. And now the individuals that have Albert O, he, his, his trade market has already been established. Yep. So there's... People aren't trading for Albert O now because it's been like four months post-trade. So all of that action happened and it's very light on the trade side of things. But then what's happened now is as we've left his trade market, now we're into startups and that allure of Russell Wilson being new because this data is pulling just the last month, right? So just July. So now people are just kind of, from a startup perspective, that news is no longer hot and sexy. Which is why his why he's a little bit higher in the calc versus he would be in startups, and that's also going to be explained here in a second with one other player mm-hmm. on yeah. the higher player side. Um, so yeah, do you do you have any other comments on on that? No, it makes it, sense. It, yeah, it makes sense that the uh, people are are hyping up unproven tight ends. This is nothing new. <laughs> so, so interestingly enough. Speaking of unproven tight ends, we actually have a list of proven tight ends that are higher in the calculator than they are in startups. And these are tight end premiums. So both talking about tight end premium. Um, And then we'll get into the other positions here. So Hawk is actually TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, and Darren Waller all make this list. And in fact, what's interesting about them is that they are tight end four, five, and six in the calculator. Mm-hmm. And they all make this list of being higher in the calculator than they are in startups. Hawk, 27 players different. 
Kittle 23, and Waller 22. And I think that's pretty easily explained. So the most common position that's faded in, in startups is tight ends. So people view it as, oh, if I don't get the top three tight ends, I'm just going to fade tight ends and get you know, my guy that I like later, like a Cole Komet or a, a Dawson Knox or a Pat Fryermuth or a Dalton Schultz, whatever the case may be, later on in the draft. So this one actually makes the most sense to me because the people that now have Hawk, Kittle, and Waller, they know that there's a big kind of, it's like two tiers. We have the Pitts-Andrews-Kelsey tier, and then we kind of have the Kittle-Hawkinson-Waller tier, mm-hmm. right, in terms of how people view them. Um, and then there's a drop-off, a massive drop-off from Waller to the next tight end, which would be like a Dallas Goddard and Dalton Schultz, which are neck and neck. Yeah. So those people that own those guys are just going to hold on to them because they can't likely acquire one of the top three and they don't want to take the drop down to the next tier. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, I agree. Um, so what this kind of tells me is that Hawk, Kittle, and Waller are probably from a value perspective, a pretty good opportunity to acquire during your draft. Yeah, I agree with that. Where they're being going because they have, they hold more value post draft. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and, People will sometimes pay up a bit more for a tight end when they really need one. When like they feel like, well, going into the season with Cole Komet as tight end one isn't going to help me win a championship. Might might as well just go pay up for someone. And you're not going to pay up for the Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews tier. And so it's a lot more appealing for some people who want to trade up to trade into that uh, secondary tier that is being priced higher in trades. Yeah, that's a good point. So Pitts and, and Andrews. I bet Kelsey, because we only went to a certain limit, I bet Kelsey is also higher in calc value versus startup value, but not as much as these other guys. So yeah, it's a a really interesting dichotomy there between the two, which is easily explained and probably um, you can expose that Mm -hmm. easily as well. Yeah, Kelsey is around higher in trade value versus, versus ADP, but his is like, his difference being smaller makes sense because he doesn't have that much room to go up. Because he's going from 35 in startups to 22 in trade value. And yep. that, that makes sense because when you're at like 64 like Hawkinson is in startups, going up to 37 is a, like relatively like in pure number of picks, it is a, a bigger jump. But in terms of value, jumping from 35 to 22 is a pretty similar jump. Yeah. Let me ask you. So what is your strategy in startups when you're looking at like tight ends. Are you grabbing a tight end in the first three rounds if the opportunity arises? Let's say this, you look at the ADP that you have there. Mm-hmm. Where are you taking your first tight end? Yeah, I've been taking a lot of tight ends pretty early. I have um, a lot of Mark Andrews, not a lot of Kyle Pitts because the price tag is higher, but I have a lot of Mark Andrews in like at the second round price tag. And then also a couple of Travis Kelsey, but uh, mostly on that Kittle Waller tier. Not a big Hawkinson guy, but uh, like the the elite older guys are the guys I'm more going after because of the value of a replacement they provide. And if I don't get any of them, I'm, I'm really swinging for the fences later. Going with uh, cheap athletic guys like Fant, Alberto, players like that. Evan Ingram, really cheap, is the is mm-hmm. the kind of guys I want to go after. I'm not really paying up for any of the. Middling guys like Fryermuth, Knox, Cole Komet. Okay. Let me ask. So let, let's say you're in a startup. You get, So if you're taking Andrews in the second, you're probably going to end up a tight end premium. You probably have to take him in the mid-second. Yeah. Very rarely is he falling to the late second. So let's say you have pick number seven in the draft or pick number eight. Are you going quarterback and then coming around and taking Andrews? Or are you going receiver and then coming around and taking Andrews? So like, are you? Do you fade quarterbacks? No, I I don't not. But it really depends how the how the draft like unfolds. If I'm at eight, and all of like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Mahomes, Burrow, Lamar, and Kyler are gone, then I'll probably take uh, Justin Jefferson or a Cal Pitts or Jamar Chase. I'm not going to reach on like uh like a Dak Prescott. I did once and I regretted it ever since, but, um, but <laughs> okay. yeah, I'll, I'll take the, I'll take one of those receivers there. And then 
But if Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson falls to me at eight or seven or uh, what you said, then I'll take him there. It, it really just depends how the first picks unfold. Okay. So let me give you a couple different scenarios and see how you do this. Okay. So let's say the first scenario plays out and then the top six quarterbacks that you mentioned are gone by eight. Now you're at eight. You're taking Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. So you're going quarterback. You said, or receiver. You're going receiver there. Yeah. Chase or Jefferson, correct? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't pay up for, you wouldn't pay for Pitts there. I would. Okay. So Pitts, Chase or Jefferson? Yeah. I just end up taking Justin Jefferson okay. uh, over Pitts, which I think is the reason I don't have as much Kyle Pitts. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I really like Justin Jefferson. It's a lot more, okay. he's, he's really proven. So like, yeah, obviously I love Chase and I love Pitts, but with two seasons of elite production from Justin Jefferson, I just have him. I just prefer him. So. Okay. So I guess the easiest way to explain this is you would rather have a Justin Jefferson, Mark Andrews combo if you went receiver tight end versus having a Kyle Pitts, CD Lamb combo. Yeah, I would. Okay. So you would make that trade. Jefferson and Andrews for Pitts and, and Lamb. I would take the Jefferson side, yeah. Okay. So let me ask this. So you take Jefferson at, at eight and it comes back around. Are you taking like Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, or Trey Lance? ahead of Mark Andrews? I take Russ and Lance. Uh, Hertz is tough, but I think I prefer Mark Andrews. Okay. So if you get a quarterback in round one, you would take Andrews. If you get, if you don't get a quarterback in round one, you will not take Andrews and you would take Russell Wilson or Trey Lance. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I'll never be opposed to starting quarterback, quarterback. It's a, it's, a, it's common for a good reason because securing those guys early is okay. always uh, makes you feel good about your draft. So. You know, what would determine that? So let's say those guys are available. You have Wilson, Lance, and Andrews on the board, and you already secured a quarterback. Yeah. If I, if I already had like a Kyler or Lamar, I would take Lance, like even with having a quarterback one already. Having Lance okay. as a QB1 is good, but having Lance as a QB2 is even better, even if you forego uh, a different position. Like it, it, that's okay. a, it feels like a really strong start to me. And then from there, if you don't get Andrews, you're – Fading it all until... No, I I, uh, I like Waller and, and Kittle at costs. Okay, so and you also would take... Kelsey, uh, but less so okay. on Kelsey just because it really, really locks you into competing this year. Yeah, that's kind of my... my The thing I hate about Kelsey the most is that... Yeah, and it makes sense that he's going higher in trades because then you can control that you're, you're getting him. You'd be like, all right, I am ready to win now. Now I'm going to go pay up for Kelsey. Right. And, you know, I, I view dynasty very simply. I, I'm trying to build a dynasty. And mm -hmm. for me, a dynasty is a team that will be a champion for multiple years in a row or at least be a top three team yeah. for a handful of years. And you, I feel like you can't, if you take Kelsey in a startup, right, you could win the first year, maybe your second year too, assuming that he continues to produce at that level. But you really got to you kind of got to go for it for those two years and it hurts your long-term dynasty prospects. Mm -hmm. Especially if you go all in and really trade all your futures, which I would never do, but. Which a lot of people do. Yeah. And um, it, it really depends how I, how I approach dynasty. It depends on what other people are doing. So I'm in a lot of leagues where people are thinking more like that. And, and there's like three or four, or two or three people that go all in. And when that happens, then I'm going to like sit back and accumulate value, accumulate future picks and try to build a, strong, a really strong team that's going to be strong for years to come. But I'm in a lot of leagues with people that are like, uh, think the same way as me. And they're like uh, trying to accumulate value. And if that's the case, I don't, I'm not opposed to being more aggressive and going for this year. It really just yeah. depends on what everyone else is doing. If I, if I have, multiple people in my league trading all of their future firsts for like Devontae Adams, Travis Kelsey, and Stefan Diggs. And I'm not going to be as into competing because uh, someone's trying to, something's like standing in my way. And even though I don't agree with trading all your futures for older players like that, it definitely does make their team a lot stronger this year. And so not, so, not like, not the kind of juggernaut I want to run into in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and we've talked about that with startups. It's, Everything we I think we talked about in the last two shows, um, mm -hmm. but in startups, everybody's got an even playing field. One through twelve have an even playing field of pick. The pick values are the exact same, you know, relative. There's a smaller um, delta there. Yeah, but for the most part, it's the same. And the big uh, determinant of 
of how your team ends up is what you do in the startup. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So that explains the tight ends. And then also what makes sense is the, the main quarterbacks, like there's one that kind of stands out as kind of people maybe getting ahead of potential trade. Um, but Willis and um, Desmond Ritter are the two highest quarterbacks in mm-hmm. calc value. And what, yeah, relative you and to I, startup ADP. Yeah, so go ahead and how do you explain that? Uh, yeah, it's a similar phenomenon to what we saw with uh, Carr, Cousins, and Brady, where people don't want to take on those kind of guys in startups. Maybe is there QB two or three because you're probably not getting points out of them this year. And so drafting them, unless you're fully committed to not competing isn't going to uh, provide as much value to you. And so it makes sense that they carry more value in uh, in trades. And you also said that you're also pulling uh, rookie draft data. And so that also makes sense because you, I often see players like Willis and um, Ritter go higher in rookie drafts compared to like where they would go in uh, a startups. Like they might be like the 14th or 15th rookie off the board, but like in a startup, they might go like 18th rookie off the board. So that that definitely makes sense where people yeah. are, are reaching in rookie drafts for the quarterbacks, but not as much on those particular quarterbacks in a startup where you have a lot of other guys who are actually starting. Right, yeah, and that's that's exactly right. You, have, you don't have to, with, with the rookie drafts, there's only a few quarterbacks that you can draft. In a startup, you don't have to be pigeonholed into taking one of the rookie quarterbacks Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the draft, so yeah, that makes a whole ton of sense. The one guy that stands out to me, interestingly, and I think we can explain it, mm-hmm. is Jared Goff at twenty two, twenty two pick difference. So that's you know just about two round difference there. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah, it really doesn't make sense to me. But like him being higher in trade value when he's not like a sexy name or someone with a bunch of hype, but in like startups where people reach on quarterbacks, he's lower. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. What do you think? So what quarterback is he in, in, in ADP? 29. 29. So he's 26 in calculator value. So what that kind of tells us is that if you look at the, the top 24 play, so once people have drafted 24 quarterbacks, that's pretty much all the starters. Mm-hmm. So now what they're doing is they're tackling all the other positions. And now you got guys like, they're really only, it's Jared Goff, and then it's like, from the proven guys, well, proven with with quotes, I guess. Um, it's Goff, mm-hmm. Wentz, Daniel Jones, yep. Mariota, Baker like, Mayfield. So Baker Mayfield. So yeah. if you compare Goff to those guys, Baker's probably not a good example because the ADP data's probably still got to catch up on Baker. But yeah, with Goff, Ryan, Wentz, Daniel Jones, Mariota. He's probably he's right now he's just the only one that's standing out where he's being devalued in startups relative to those other guys. So people have already secured their top their top two quarterbacks, and then everything else is being devalued in startups. And just Jared Goff happens to be the only one that makes it more than a round difference. I'd be curious. Can you see where like Carson Wentz is in in the difference? In the difference. Yeah, I can check. Because he's probably past 150, right? Because he only went to 150. Uh, no, he's uh, okay. below it, but he's like five picks difference. It's not that significant. Okay, so five picks. So he's higher in the calculator than he is in startups. Uh, yeah. Okay, so it's about so yeah. I mean, half a round versus Goff being just under two rounds. Yeah, that's a lot bigger difference for for Goff, but. I understand it. If I'm going to pick my QB3, like, you know, the guy I'm planning to be my bi-week quarterback, I would pick Daniel Jones. But then my second option out of those guys we've we've listed would be Jared Goff. Yeah. It's a pretty good situation. He's got good offensive line and some solid weapons, you know. And he's shown to be a top quarterback in the past. Not that I expect him to return to that, but um, I think he'll he'll be a solid value. QB29. Definitely offers some solid value. Yeah. And he's probably the best QB3 on the market. Um, yeah, he's right? one of them. I mean, Daniel Jones 
But then after yeah, Daniel where's Jones, Daniel Jones? He's twenty. Where's Daniel Jones? So he's he's just ahead of Jared Goff. Yeah. Okay. I prefer Jones because he rushes. But yep. So like, if I'm gonna get, like have a bye week fill in, I'm gonna take the guy who who rushes and and can offer that value whenever I want to fill that quarterback slot. My my guess with Daniel Jones is that he's probably higher in startups than he is in in the calculator. Interesting. Let's put it to the test. Let's see. Dan, yeah, Daniel Jones is higher in trades. Oh, he by is. Okay. A, apex. And so okay. he's not one of the guys on the outskirts. And a, anything less than around, I'll probably just chalk it up to noise, to not being that significant. Yeah. I thought maybe with Daniel Jones, there's still enough people that are, he is on the fringe of having some fanboys still left yeah. that will reach for him in startups that, you know, in, in regular, you know, with trades, those have already commenced, like I said, a while ago. So his value in trades, I figured might have been a little bit lower. But he is starting, there is some, you know, year four hype for Daniel Jones, right? <laughs> it's happening, like the breakout. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I, I consider myself a fan, but I'm not deluding myself into thinking he'll be good. And there's a small chance that anything happens, but by and large, I'm just taking him at value because he's a quarterback who runs. And so I like it. You know, same reason I like Mariota. Yeah. There's one other player that stands out, I would say, in, in higher calculator. And I think we kind of talked about a pre show what makes sense, but Amari Cooper, mm-hmm. 22 picks higher in the calculator than he is in uh startup adp for july so do you i mean i know what my answer is and what i think and i think we both agreed when we talked about it so you can kind of lead with what you took out of it yeah it does make sense the way you explained it because um you're saying that uh with the watson news that happened what is that multiple months ago that he was trading higher for a bit and then uh since then is is come down as the news comes out about Watson maybe getting a year suspension which is really tough because before before that after the um everything cleared it was like I heard a lot of people saying uh four games six games eight games but now that it's like talking about a year or like some people even talking about him he should be suspended indefinitely then uh, definitely seeing the Cooper hype die down a little bit makes sense why he's going lower in startups. But the people that already traded for him, already got him, are probably just waiting for this news to uh, to blow over. They're just holding, wanting to see what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. And I would be the same way. If I have Amari Cooper, I'm not selling right now or I'm not buying right now. I'm just waiting to see what happens, getting more clarity. Yeah, so that's exactly right. So the the the, the post-trade hype, increased his value and then now people are expecting him to be suspended for a year so now for july adp people are just kind of they're fading cooper a little bit because of that concern which makes a whole lot of sense and actually like jimmy g is one of the quarterbacks that's two and a half rounds difference in value versus startups and i think that's also attributed to the there was seattle was open carolina was open um what else was open a few months ago that didn't get filled by a quarterback. Um, Seattle, Carolina, uh, New Orleans, Houston. Yeah, Houston, yeah. but like New Orleans and Pittsburgh before they resigned Jameis and drafted Picker, respectively. Yeah, so, so I think once. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. The Jimmy, the Jimmy front has definitely gotten a lot worse in terms right. of his his outlook, and so it makes sense why he's uh, going a lot lower in startups right now. But same way yeah. that I'd just be holding if I had him, waiting to see where he lands if he lands somewhere. Yeah, and at this point now he's just left to he's left with Seattle, right? So his yeah. his available trade partners dwindled from five or six to one. So mm-hmm. and people had traded with the expectation that Jimmy was going to be traded because that was the rumbling early on, like they're shopping him around. So his trade value increased, and then the markets died down, and people are just the people that traded for Jimmy are just holding on to him, and nobody else is in the league trying to trade for Jimmy because he's got no market now for teams yeah so i would say like the only thing that we could really take and expose from from startups i think that you could reasonably do and who knows how long this will last where we have like these these major tiers and tight ends it usually happens i feel like we have this every single year but i think the biggest ones are 
the Waller Kittle Hawk, you can get a, a two round gap there. There's a two round gap there for for those players. And what's yeah. interesting, it used to be before the last couple of years, you could do it with the higher end quarterbacks because as time has gone on, people have realized the desperation of acquiring quarterbacks. Just in the last couple of years, there's been the drafts where we're seeing eight, nine quarterbacks going in the first round. Before that, that was very seldom to happen. Mm-hmm. You could get a top five quarterback at the back end of the first round because people are still hammering you know, the running backs and receivers. Yeah, and I think it's also partly because the running backs and receivers have gotten worse at the top over the last couple of years. We've seen uh, a lot of elite guys fall out of um, eliteness or like getting up there in age and really the only like appealing like there's only four uh non-quarterbacks that go in the first in the first round of startups and that's JT, JJ, um Chase and and Pitts and so it makes sense like why you're seeing them QBs go up but I also think it's partly uh a little bit of group thing because ADP skewing so heavily towards quarterbacks that you see people be like, well, I have to get a quarterback. So I'm going to conform and be like, uh, and take one of these top six guys at ADP because, uh, you yeah, secure, like securing quarterback. This is what's right. I have to, everyone else is doing it. So I'm going to do it too and take the quarterback there. I don't disagree yeah. with it. Like, uh, these top six quarterbacks, maybe with the exception of Burrow, because, haven't seen him register that level of production yet, but the uh, numbers around him are, are good. But th- those level of quarterbacks provide extreme level of of production above replacement. Like all, like if if you have a top six quarterback like that, it gives you um, similar or better value to the RB one, the wide receiver one, the tight end one. But it's a lot easier to say you have a lot better chance of hitting a top six quarterback than the wide receiver one, the running back one, the tight end one, because you have more margin for error. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And this, you know, it's interesting is we got to this topic pre pre show because we were kind of talking about, you know, I had said, you know, there's a lot of players that we look at ADP, we look at value and like, man, I'm surprised that they're that high Mm -hmm. relative to where you have them valued or where you would draft them. So, I have a guy that I I find a little too high in ADP, and you have a guy that you find a little too high in ADP. So talk to me about who that guy is that you just don't understand why their ADP is that high and what you would do instead and pivot off that player. Um, yeah, it's going to be the person that absolutely no one is talking about. No one's talking about how this guy's too overhyped, but it's Gabriel Davis. Uh, who I think is too high right now in startups and also in redraft, just altogether not buying into the Gabe Davis hype train right now. He's ADP wide receiver 34 at uh, pick 90 and going around the range of guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, Sky Moore, uh, Darnell Mooney, Corlin Sutton, Elijah Moore, Mike Williams. And so not really that into Gabriel Davis. Um, What player overall is he in ADP? Uh, he's, he's pick 90, but player, he might be a, a okay. bit different. Pick 90, okay. Yeah, but he's going as, yeah, 91 in overall players. And so that's a bit steep for me, especially considering the wide receivers around him, where I think the a lot of them are, are pretty good bets to smash. Like guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, Sky Moore, I would take them over Gabriel Davis pretty easily. Elijah Moore. Not as uh, certain on guys like Darnell Mooney, Mike Williams, Corlin Sutton, but uh, they should. I would also take them. They're a lot more proven. Like Mooney, uh, for as much as I don't love him, he's still all, he's still all right. I mean, he had twenty seven percent target share last year. Um, don't expect the offense to be very good with him as their wide receiver one, but definitely definitely has room to give you some good points with the with his volume. And uh, same with same with Mike Williams and in. in uh, Los Angeles with Justin Herbert. He's buoyed a lot by his situation, but it's not something we expect to change. And even if it does come back, come down from last year and he's like a wide receiver three instead of top 15, then that's still pretty good value. Same with Corlin Sutton, where he could take a leap with Russ. I would take them all over, over Gabriel Davis, but... Yeah, so we, 
agreed kind of pre-show. And now that I think about it, we probably disagree pre-show or, or what we talked about pre-show. Oh, really? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Because like I look at the tier that he's in right now. So let's call it Sky, Amonra, Juju, Mike Williams yeah. um, tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so between those guys, so let's let's rank them. Let's put them in value. So if you had your option, these guys are on, and you need a receiver. You have Sky, Amonra, Juju, Mike Williams, and Gabe Davis. Give me your one through five. I would take Sky the highest. Um, no, actually, I take Amonra St. Brown the highest. Okay. Then Sky Moore. Yeah. Then Juju. Then Mike Williams. Then Gabe Davis. Okay. So I'm surprised you have Gabe Davis. So you're a big fan of the you want high variation week to week, right? So you want the high variance. You want the high. The um, pop. No, not not really. I, I I I'm not a big fan of high variance week to week. Well, one because it's hard to predict that, and two because it really just doesn't doesn't really make a difference. It's it's mostly just like what uh, what you're scoring on a, on average, and the the variance doesn't change a lot. But the thing I push back against is people who say high variance is bad. That's what that's what I say. Like if you have a guy who scores like 32 points, 0, 32, 0, like and it's a random coin flip, it's the same value as someone who scores 16 week to week to week. Okay. So you don't care which one you have. Is what you're saying? No, yeah. Well, yeah, cuz one it doesn't matter and then and two it's impossible to predict how much variance a player is going to have. Okay. So my philosophy on this is very simple. If Gabe Davis is my wide receiver one, I want consistency. Okay. If Gabe Davis is my wide receiver four, I want the 32 or zero. Yeah, I understand the archetype, but. Because what ends up happening is the lower you go down in, in your player that you have that you're starting, whether it's one, two, three, four, and flexes, naturally, you're probably going to have higher variance as you go, go down the rung. What you don't want to do is, for me, have the high variance, like the the high ceiling, low floor on a week-to-week basis with your high-end starters. I You're getting that from your lower-end guys. So I guess you could make the, the argument that Jarvis Landry is a wide receiver four with pretty low variance, um, right? Oh. He's pretty – he's probably got a – I'm guessing he's kind of got a pretty small standard deviation of scoring. Uh, I would imagine so, but I think a lot of people conflate a dot with variance, and that's not really the case. It's it's like I said, it's hard to predict what the variance is going to be. My gripe with Gabriel Davis isn't uh, variance week to week; it's that he's unproven uh, relative to the players around his ADP, and so. I'm but not then that Sky Moore is unproven, right? Right, but he has a good prospect profile, and I'm willing to yeah. buy into that. Okay. Like the the range of outcomes for Sky Moore is pretty good in the range of outcomes for Gabriel Davis, a day three pick who hasn't produced very much in his NFL career. He has flashes, and that's cool. A lot of players have flashes, but a lot of players with flashes aren't priced like Gabriel Davis. And for, for the range of outcomes that comes with Gabriel Davis, I'm not into it at, at price. Yeah. Like uh, the unproven thing is uh, relative to his, his range of outcomes. Like he has a, a, a very low floor without many bull cases. There's not a lot of, uh, there's not, not a lot of examples to point to for Gabe Davis. Yeah, so I look at this and I put Sky probably one and I have Gabe Davis two in this list. Interesting. You take Gabe Davis over Amon Rathain Brown? I would. I would just because with one, I like the, the Josh Allen. Of course, that's why he's, that's over, why he's where over he Goff, is. Right? That's so like, he, yeah, that's why he yeah. is. So like if Gabe Davis, if Amonra was on the Bills and Gabe Davis is on the Lions, I would way prefer Amonra, right? So the quarterback is important to me. That matters. Also Amonra, they drafted Jamison Williams. They got Chark there. They have Hawk there. They have Swift there. But do you expect like I don't expect JMO to do much in year one. Not in year one, but I'm talking dynasty, right? But then the his scoring this year affects his dynasty value so much. I mean, I was talking about this the other day, but I fully expect him to lead the team in targets. Where he had a, I could see it. He had a twenty-one percent target share as a rookie, and T.J. Hawkinson's career high is a twenty-one percent target share. T.J. Hawkinson's really his only competition to lead for targets on this team uh, for this year, 
And so for him to have like uh for him to have a twenty one percent target share as a rookie, definitely uh see him building on that because you see a lot of good rookies take a leap in year two. So I, I think he leads his team in targets. I'm not like discounting him for the situation because uh, I mean, so it's a wide receiver three in value. The situation you're not counting on the points, right? This is a value play. This is an upside play. And so, yeah, don't, you, don't you think he provides that? Gabe Davis provides that upside play as a wide receiver two in that offense. Because I'm not a big Dawson Knox fan. The idea, the idea is there, right? the The idea of upside is always nice, but then the actual execution of of Gabe Davis there isn't appealing to me. Yeah, we but we have to think about it. There's 600 plus passes. In that offense. Is there? Yeah. There was last year. Off the top of my head, I, I don't know. I, uh, on a per-game basis, I know, but 600 sounds about right. But, I mean, honestly, like, what, what does a 15% target share on, a, on that offense do? Even if there's 600 passes. Like, that's totally within the range of outcomes. That's like a 15% target share. Even if his routes go up. Yeah, uh, 646 he, last year for Josh Allen. He had, um, so last year. He had um, 18% target rate, if my memory is correct. And typically, if you see players expand uh, their route volume, you see their target rate go down. And obviously, this isn't um, this isn't a guarantee, but it's it's I think it's the most likely outcome to have um, target rate go down as the routes go up. And so, with that being the case, I don't see how like the target share is going to be really good and obviously it's buoyed by sheer volume but if he has like a 15 percent target share uh it really doesn't matter that much i mean you have your al lazard or mbs it doesn't really make a difference to me i don't really care yeah i look at it and he started more games and i believe he played more snaps in in his rookie season than he did last season because of sanders and cole beasley and mm-hmm. those two are no longer but yeah, he had higher target per out run and yards per out run in year two, which makes sense because you do see players better who are like get better in their second season. But I don't, ex- I don't know. Betting on another leap in year three um, seems not, not that advice made. Like I do expect him to increase in his role, but I don't expect it to increase relative to the price, and I don't expect it to. Uh, to pay off, I, I think it's, I don't know, the, the, the role being up for grabs doesn't do it for me because what's the, what's the difference, what's the stop them from just having this offense be based solely around digs? Like the same, like going back to Lazard it can in, be. in Green Bay, right? Because we saw Green Bay do that for multiple years where you just have one really good quarterback, one really good receiver, and that's the whole offense because no one else is good enough to earn a consistent role. And so if Gabe Davis isn't good enough to earn that consistent role, then being in this offense isn't going to change anything for him. Yeah, but you have to look at it and you say, yeah, the, the target share at 15, but we also have to consider that if he gets 15% target share with Josh Allen tossing the ball 650 times, that's that's 100 targets, uh, right? Yeah, but that's not that. That doesn't do much. I mean, 100 targets isn't... It It does for the type of targets that, Gabe Davis will be getting because yeah he does have high ADOT targets and they bring down catch rate because that's just the right. relationship between ADOT and catch rate so if he has like so 650 um so it's it's, it's like 90 let's call it 100 okay so 100 targets yep on like his career catch rate and I don't use 55. catch rate but just like yeah 56 percent so let's say he gets 56 receptions right I don't I don't use it but it gives a good frame of reference if he has 55 catches like that's, that doesn't really make a difference Make him, make him a wide receiver of four or five. We would agree that 15% target share is probably the... Purely replaceable. The, but I think it's the floor for him. If he's the wide receiver... What you're betting is Gabe Davis not being the wide receiver two there. The if you think it's... Him. I think if it's 15%, I think that's the... For a wide receiver two, I think that's going to be... His, in that offense, I think that's going to be the floor. Because unless you think Dawson Knox is going to be the second highest target share in that offense... No, I, I think that they could uh, 100% just have a bunch of guys have smaller roles. And then you have like who? Like Jameson Crowder, like Isaiah McKenzie, Khalil Shakir, Dawson Knox. Okay. I mean, if Gabe Davis isn't him, then he's not much better 
than the rest of those guys. He, I would see that. I would say that. Yeah, he did, could definitely be better. Mm-hmm. But it's very possible that fifteen percent isn't the floor, and that I don't know. It's just that he hasn't shown the ability to have a consistent role so far. And for if, even with like a fifteen percent target share being the floor, that's a really bad floor. Even if you get up to eighteen percent, it's still pretty bad. Right, it's a bad floor for a normal player, but not a bad floor for the type of targets that Gabe Davis has gotten in his career. And that could change because of his, like you said, he's running now a different route, so his ADOT is probably going to change. He's going to get lower. Uh-huh. Um, so all of that plays in. I just don't. I think if Gabe Davis crept into the, for me, into the next tier above, that's when I kind of put the brakes on it. Um, like if he's going. Instead of being 91, he's in the top 70 players. He's going in the five or, you know, round five or six. Let's say he goes in round six. Then I'm kind of like, ah, it's probably a little too high. But I think if you're still drafting him as a wide receiver three or four, I think you're, I think you're totally fine. It's okay. Do you want to know what a 50% target share with a great quarterback, like uh, on high A dot targets looks like? That's uh, basically the entire career of Marcus Valdez Scantling. What was what? Did, what was his targets? He had a fifty percent target share last year. But but the thing is, the Packers are like Rodgers doesn't throw the ball six hundred fifty times a season. Aaron Rodgers had one hundred and thirty fewer pass attempts. That's an entire player. That's an entire elite player based on pass attempts. And if you want to negate the throwaways, that's an entire wide receiver two of pass attempts available. Right, so it's, but... it's not the same. Now, if Josh Allen only threw the ball 500 times, five, and this is kind of the big issue I have with A.J. Brown's ADP, right? But uh-huh. we'll get to I that get in a different, different um, pod because we're running up close here. Yeah. But for me, it's not just the target share. It's obviously the target volume that's important. Like if, if I know the, the offense is going to throw the ball 600 plus times, mm-hmm. that changes my opinion on share versus you know, like the actual share number, right? Right, yeah, but but then it doesn't change the fact that the 15% is truly replaceable and giving you very replace, replaceable production. But I view that as the floor for Gabe Davis because I think he's good. If Gabe Davis is a good receiver, I think 15% is the floor. And I think you thought he was a good receiver. I think rec- he could be a good NFL receiver without being a good fantasy receiver. Potentially. I mean, that's yet to be seen, but I I don't think that you drafting him, you know, as the 90th player overall mm-hmm. is really shooting yourself in the foot because no, but I think once you get in, opportunities, once... I think the opportunity cost, uh, there's other shots I would take. I mean, I don't think with Mike Williams and Juju, you're not getting, they're, they're not getting you hard. Like that's, it's not going to happen. No, they're not the, maybe they're no, they don't feel as sexy, but I would rather bet on them to give me points. I mean, I'd rather have the wide receiver two in Buffalo. You could be a top 64 receiver in the NFL, but that doesn't make you, like, even if you're top 64 receiver in the NFL, you're starting on a team, that doesn't make you fantasy relevant. Just because he's, he's starting doesn't make him relevant. Well, yeah, if they're throwing the ball 650 times, he will be relevant if he's starting. If he's playing an 80, 90% snap share, he's going to be, rel- he's forced to be relevant. If yeah, if you assume that he has every all snaps and look at it this way, it's very simple. If he plays eighty or ninety percent of the snaps, and he doesn't receive a hundred targets, at least a hundred targets, then Stefan Diggs should be doubled on every single play. Yeah, I don't think because who else are they throwing the ball to all game? Dawson Knox and Jameson Crowder and James Cook. Right, I don't think that's uh, that bad of an expectation for Stefan Diggs. It absolutely. Absolutely, just smash. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, I mean, that's what I would bet on the offense. Stefan Diggs just being amazing. Yeah, I think it really comes down to: Do you think Gabe Davis is a good player or a bad player? And if you think he's a good player, then you should expect a higher than a fifteen percent floor for his target share. And then if you think he's bad, then then you shouldn't even be drafting him probably until pick probably like one twenty, because then if you're wrong, at least it's worth it. Uh, yeah. If he was going around pick. 120, it's certainly more palatable. Yeah. If you want, like, could, like, Kadarius, Kadarius Tony range, then maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Even if a guy I didn't like, if I knew that he gave me a high ceiling and a prolific offense, potentially, if I'm wrong, I would take him, even if I didn't like him. Yeah. There's just so but many yeah. ex- examples. 
Like even even the last thirty years of guys have, like not being relevant, even though they have a okay role in a in a great offense, like a Miko Hardman. But yeah, it's a. I feel like it's a risky proposition. Like I understand the allure the allure of the ceiling, but I mean, there's just been it's been proven time and time again that just because a player is in the offense doesn't make him relevant. Yeah, I, I get it, but it's it's just worth it's worth the shot at that point because. If he, that's the type of player that you draft in that offense with that many targets that has a league winning potential because you're not drafting them as your wide receiver one or two. You're drafting them as your wide receiver three. Does he have league winning potential? I mean, to get league, to get league winning potential, you're going to have to like have as many targets as Stefan Diggs to be a top five, 12 receiver, right? No, I mean, you're looking you're at You're not it wrong. a league winner unless you're. Unless you have an insane stretch to end the season and you get lucky that way, or you're a top twelve, top five receiver. Outside of that, you're not a league winner. You you are because what you're doing is your you're I'm not saying that Gabe Davis is now your wide receiver one or two. He doesn't need to be your wide receiver one or two. What I'm saying is he you have a wide receiver one or two, and now what you're doing is you're getting a wide receiver three that's giving you high end wide receiver two production. That is what puts you over the top for for league winner because what you've done is you've changed his points per game from, you know, whatever it was the last couple of years is like maybe eight. what was he putting up eight or nine points per game to 15, 16 points per game potentially. Mm-hmm. If he is a high wide receiver too, that is league winning potential because you're adding now eight points just on one player from your expected. Right, but it's, he's not priced like a player who had eight points per game last year. He's priced like a player. He's priced like eleven. You, he's, <laughs> he's priced like a, like a like thirteen. Ah. and it's even like he's priced pretty highly. I mean, especially in redraft ADP where he's going in the top uh, twenty four already. Uh, that, I think that's where the expectation is set, and so. And yeah. obviously, we're talking about dynasty here, but I think the expectation is already there that he's going to be that that uh, level of player. And so, I don't think I don't think you're getting that league winning potential. And I don't even think that a wide receiver two is a league winner. Uh, maybe it's different definitions, but well, it is it is relative to where you're drafting him. Drafting a guy at like wide receiver sixty and then finishing at wide receiver twenty four is good. It's a good uh, return on investment. It's not going to win you a league, but it's definitely, definitely helps you, but it's not going to be like a league winner, like the way hitting on a Cooper cup. will. yeah, if he's a low end wide receiver too, no, he'll just help you. But right. I think if he's a high end wide receiver too, which in that offense, it's, but there is a range of outcomes where Gabe Davis finishes with, you know, 1,210. That is not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, isn't the orange just talking about Mike Williams from last year? I mean, he didn't, he didn't certainly, uh, give you a good return on what you invested on him. I wouldn't call him a league winner. Well, where so where is Mike Williams? Where was Mike Williams drafted, and where where did he finish last year? He's been drafted in like the the fifties last year amongst wide receivers, and he finished as a wide receiver fifteen, I believe. And so, yeah. So Mike Williams, but you have to understand too. Mike Williams did all of his damage like in the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean that gave you. But if you look at his game log, he smashed early, and then he faded hard. So, but if you give me the smash, if Mike Williams flipped his smash weeks, he was a league winner. Yeah. I mean, same with Amara. Right? Would Brown. you agree with that? Yeah, same with him. But Amara was like, Amara, Amara had that smash season at the end he of was, yes, last season. He was a league winner. Yeah, he was a league like, winner. So, like, if you, it depends on, yeah. Now, if Gabe Davis does what Mike Williams did and shits the bed at the end of the season, then yeah, I agree with you. He's hot to begin with and shits the bet at the end. Yes, 100%. Right. Hard to predict and that it, though. So. Yeah, it's hard to predict it. Not something to blow on. Yeah, but I think 1,210 out of the wide receiver 60 is a league winner. Just like Amonra last season, of course, because of where he did it. But even if you, even if you spread it out over the course of the season evenly, it's still giving you a nice jolt. It may not potentially, like, you still need your other players to produce. But mm-hmm. getting that jolt makes such a massive difference that now we're talking about eight or nine points difference per week, which over the course of a playoff series, that is a big number. If it's like what well, we see a lot where people go after a, a win now piece, it's usually adding, you know, they're replacing their player that's getting them, you know, 12 points, 13 points, and they're replacing that player with somebody getting them 14, 15 points. 
that's different. But if you're adding one player in a startup, that that player in itself is getting eight or nine points, that's different. That's like Mike Williams. People trading for Mike Williams as a win-now piece is stupid because that's just one player that you're giving up a lot of equity for, and he could he could fall flat. But in a startup, you're getting that one player. You don't know what your other te- other pieces are going to do. So I'm not saying yeah. go trade for Gabe Davis to make him your win-now piece, but I'm saying in a startup with the way that it's designed, he could be a winning factor depending on the rest of your roster. I don't know. It's tough because I'd also attribute the same level of production ceiling to the guys going around his range. Okay. Like I, t- I could totally see Elijah, like Elijah Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Sky Moore, Juju, Mike Williams, et cetera, all being high wide receiver twos or even like wide receiver one in the tail end range of outcomes for some of them. Like Amon Ross St. Brown could definitely be a wide receiver one next year. If he takes quite a leap, I mean, could be, but I'm not. I'm not taking Mike Williams at age 28. No thanks. Like he's just not, not the type of player that I want as a 28 year old. The nerd in me who looks at range of outcomes wants to take Mike Williams, but I understand the roster construction part of me who's like actually like considering Gabe Davis ahead because of uh, one, I don't like Mike Williams. And two, I I see I see the alert. I mean, I get it. It's not like I don't understand why people yeah. like him. But yeah, I understand. Mike Williams would be the one that I would understand if you take Gabe Davis over him. Yeah. But the other guys, I wouldn't. Yeah, it to be seen. It'll be interesting to see how much like Gabe. I don't think Gabe Davis's stock has stopped rising because I'm guessing there's going to be some camp news and all oh, this man, other that'd stuff. Be so amazing. yeah, it's going to keep going, but. Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, that's the end of the show today. Hopefully, yep. it's kind of close to an hour. We don't go too long, but episode 241. Thanks, Akash, and uh, we'll see you again next week.